0: welcome to the push performance podcast all right what's up guys we're here with kyle rogers today my boy what's good homie what's up thanks for having me on absolutely absolutely looking forward to talking with you um so today we brought in we brought in a lot of guys today we got jordan we got eric got taylor got brandon we got eric eric miller our, our great intern from what's school tarp not Tarleton, Truman State. Truman State, Truman State, all right, then Ashton,
1: Hello.
0: she told me not to introduce herself, but I did it, so, <laughs> but yeah, uh, so Kyle, what's good, man, tell us what's going on with you?
2: Yeah, uh, just, um, you know, I got my new place up and running here at uh, New Level, um, which is in Puyallup, Washington, and, uh, you know, just training guys. We've got a college group. we got some high school guys sprinkling in when they're not playing and, uh, you know, just kind of just doing the, doing my thing, training guys. Love that. Love that. That's where you're good at. Uh, tell, tell me a little bit about what you're doing out
0: there. Like what's what's different than what you're doing now versus what you used to do in the past with the facility and all that?
2: Yeah. So um, I guess for those that don't know, I was at Driveline for three years um, and then took a job at Cal State Northridge as the director of strength and conditioning there. Um, or director director of athletic performance whatever everyone For, call it. You had fun there. Yeah, really good time there. Um, <laughs> such a good time. I can only make it a year. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so I guess a big part of why I came back um, to Washington was um, I think kind of like one of the things that I'm, I don't want to say best at, but one of the things that I think makes me, A good strength coach or a good coach in general is just my ability to kind of tie the strength and skill together, the integrative piece, um, which I didn't really get to do at Cal State Northridge. And so coming back and kind of going to the private sector setting allowed me to uh, get back on the pitching side of things. Um, When I started at driveline, I would spend like my first half of the day on the throwing floor and my second half of the day. Uh, in the weight room and then kind of transitioned full-time to the weight room, just based on kind of need. But I still had like a really big hand in what we did on the throwing side of things. Um, And so coming back, um, just allowed me to kind of get back into that. Um, And then I guess in terms of like, what's different from what I'm doing now at what we'll call like Rogers performance at new level. And then what I was doing at diamond sports, um, is now I'm essentially just an independent contractor. I'm running my own business out of this space. Um, it's a much bigger space. So it allows me to do a little bit more on the pitching side. Um, my old space at diamond sports was like, uh, I mean, Taylor can, Taylor can attest to this, but it was like literally probably a 20 by 20 space. We had four racks and a ply wall all in the same area. And so I couldn't really have guys throwing lifting at the same time. Um, and, like, I could only have, like, two guys throwing on the plyo wall at one time. And so um, now I've got, you know, designated areas for throwing plyos, for throwing bullpens, for lifting, for running. Um, so, yeah, it's just a, a bigger space to kind of allow me to, you know, do everything that I want to do.
0: How are you How are you managing your days with, uh, like, the throwing portion and then the lifting portion? Are you guys having, like – One, one set, like first thing you're going to do is you're like kind of your preparatory blocks and then you're going to have guys throw and then you all lift or how how are you doing that?
2: Yeah, it's a little bit different depending on like whether it's my college group or my high school groups. College groups are a little bit more like I would say um, probably similar to like what you guys do with like uh, a little bit more individualized programs. Um, They're a little bit more autonomous, too, where they kind of just come in and like pull up their their programs and get rolling whereas the high school groups are a little bit more all right we're going to do everything as a group we're going to do the same things Um, and that way I can kind of keep my eyes on them a little bit more but yeah so come in um, kind of dynamic warm-up preparatory stuff Um, so it's it's interesting because I have like two or three different like quote-unquote warm-ups but I I don't like to think of them as warm-ups I like to think of them as like cognitive prep stuff so like the like if we're preparing to throw like we're preparing to do a little bit different movements that we're going to do when we're preparing to lift um and so we'll do um like our cognitive prep stuff before we throw then we'll do go into you know a lot of the driveline protocols the j bands wrist weight shoulder tubes um and then throw plyos and then guys will have different different stuff for throwing whether they got a mound day or uh long toss or whatever they have and then we'll come back and then we actually go through a dynamic warm-up then um where we do a lot of our like sprint work and stuff and then after that we'll go into like our lifting cognitive prep so like that's going to be a little bit different based on whatever those guys are doing for their lift
0: that's dope yeah i mean it's well, coming from experience on our end is like it's hard as shit for us right you just even as strength coaches and Uh, pitching coaches and all that like collaborating together right um which we do a really good job of you know that's why we have a pretty large staff but i could not imagine trying
2: to fucking do all that shit by myself you know what i mean yeah there there are definitely days where i'm like and i've said it to like some of the athletes here out because like if we've got you know, let's say we've got a group of guys and like two of them are doing pull downs and one of them's got like a mound blend and one's got like a pitch design and I'm bouncing around from spot to spot and I come back and I'm like, fuck, we got a lift now too? And I got to watch <laughs> that. And I like look at one of my athletes and be like, fuck, I need an intern. Are you
0: gassed after every day you go home and pass the fuck out or what? Um,
2: It actually like, it's not too bad um, because it's like, it's high paced, right? So the days go by quick. And then like Tuesday, Thursdays are like our active recovery regen days. And that's like standard for everybody. Like everybody Tuesday, Thursday is going to have a recovery throwing day and active recovery um, regen workout. And so it's like, that's kind of my time to just like chill. Like I sit and I just watch it happen. And like, so it's like Mondays, Fridays, Wednesdays sometimes are a little bit hectic, but then I can kind of like use Tuesday, Thursdays to kind of like, chill and and bullshit with guys and, um, let that be your regen day too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's,
0: I mean, that's kind of how we run it. Like we're doing our high days Monday, Wednesday, Friday, essentially. And then our low days will be Tuesday, Thursday. And thank God for all these guys. We have a rockstar group here. Right. But like we're still gassed on Tuesday, Thursday sometimes, you know, it's just like guys are doing their tempo runs or guys are, Doing the recovery throws, or guys that are needing X, Y, Z on their movement stuff, or mobilities, or whatever it may be, and it's just like we're still over coaching, right? Wouldn't you guys say that? Yeah, it's just like, but some like some days, just like yesterday, I was like, dude, this is awesome, like chill day, slow day. You know, a lot of guys bang Tuesday, Thursdays. I've noticed even like even at the higher level, at the pro guys, right? They want to stay home with their families, right? So the college guys are pretty good, I would say, about their, their recovery days. College, um, guys are, college guys are probably the best. High schoolers and the pro guys are probably the worst on that. They're I mean, not the worst, so you can't say
2: that, but you know, they, they yeah. might do stuff at home or whatever it may be. The secret to getting guys to come on their active recovery days is you just put an arm farm at the end of it. I mean, who doesn't <laughs> want to do that? <laughs> Taylor, i gotta got do a 30 second split squat iso but i'm about to do some high cable bicep curls after this so it'll be all right. <laughs> run the rack and go home yeah <laughs> Taylor,
1: what do you got for him yeah so kind of i mean i've known you since yeah tell you let tell your story okay so <laughs> yeah i've, I've been doing that's your, a long time your ass forever yeah i've known kyle i think it was it my junior. Or was it before i went to lc it was it
2: before right well let's see. You came to the Bulldogs when you were what 16, 17? After sixteen you. Sixteen you yep. buzzed, you you bounced and came to yep. play for me and Jay when you were seventeen. Yep. And then I don't had you you hadn't started this ring side yet, have you? Had you? No, because I, I was you know? no, I was I was still in college, so I was just coaching you and I came home for the summer. Yeah. And then you then you started doing the stuff at Diamond Sports with like two or like I
1: think it was like two or three of us like me, George, Simonek, <laughs> just a small, small group of guys. But then after that, then you ended up going to driveline. And then when I went to school, we just did um, – Kyle and I just did remote – we just did remote stuff um, for the most part while you were at driveline. Um, so you pretty much were my – outside of school, you were my strength coach from when I was 17, and then you still write my programs now. <laughs> it's a long – Long ass time, long as time, you're not
2: getting any stronger, though. Maybe you need to get any bigger. You need the food.
1: I had a Uh, conversation with DJ's wife last night about food, so yeah,
2: oh, okay. Um, Oh, gonna get that dialed uh, six years later. Six
1: years, (laughs) I've always been skinny, you know that we're getting there. I'm not built like my brother, so
2: yeah.
1: Um, so kind of getting into Driveline, um, a little bit about Driveline, um at driveline you have all the tech side you had um like i remember going through because you did my assessment when i was at driveline and we had all of the data um literally everything you could possibly think of whereas now you have a lot more just your eyes and what you see and stuff like that so what do you do you miss having all the data behind everything at like like you had a driveline or does it simplify stuff a lot more during your assessments now
2: yeah that's a tough question um I don't know that I would say, I mean, it's nice to have the objective feedback, right? Like, I don't think anybody, anybody would be like, "Ah, no, like if I could have the data, I don't want it. Uh, But uh, I think the experience of having some of that data uh, has helped me use my eyes a little bit better uh, because that was one of the mistakes that we would make uh, at driveline when we would when we first started integrating all of this different technology, the biomechanics reports, um, among other things. And like you sit here and you're looking at a report with a bunch of numbers and you're like, Oh, like that's bad. Oh, that's bad. Oh, that's good. And it's like, but you're just looking at a report with numbers. You're not actually looking like at the person or at the the video of the movement. And so then we're like, Oh, like, It's much more effective if you just pull up the report and pull up the slow-mo video at the same time. So you can kind of put a picture to these numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, so at least on the throwing side of things now, it's like, okay, like I've trained my eyes to be like, Oh, like that pelvis is, that pelvis is open at foot plant or that torso is open at foot plant um, and different things like that to where i've seen it so many times i've had so many reps of doing that that now my eyes are trained to be a little bit better to be a little bit more like subjective with it as far as the weight room side of things like uh looking back i i don't love the assessment we did at, at driveline um which like i came up with so i'm not like trying to shit on driveline or be like oh assessment sucks like i came up with the assessment and like now looking back i'm like ah eh, like not not too crazy about it, uh, but uh, just because like we looked – so for those who don't know, like we just looked at VBT stuff. So um, basically what we did was we took what was perceived to be like an elite one rep max at uh, that athlete's body weight and then we would test at 30, 40, and 50% of that, which basically fell in like the starting strength, speed, strength, and strength, speed part of the, the VBT continuum. And so – Basically, it would do two things for us. Like, one, it would answer the question, like, are they strong enough? Which, like, now looking back, like, no, it doesn't answer that question because like 50% load. I mean, I guess like if somebody really like just shits on the assessment and just fails a 115 bench or something, like, yeah, they're not strong enough. But like 50% load is not really enough to see strength. Um, and then so it would answer that question. And then the second question was like all right, like, you know, are they somebody that biases more like velocity end of the force velocity curve or force end of the force velocity curve? And then like, then we'd have to be like, all right, so like this person really biases velocity. So let's address their deficiency. But then we would see guys potentially throw slower. So it's like, ah, no, actually, maybe we need to work on their strength more. Um, And so it just, for me, like it just like there's so much information that it's like, all right, like am I actually answering questions or am I just creating more questions? And so now, like, obviously, like you said, my assessment's a little bit more uh subjective. Like I look at movement, um I'm uh introducing instability and seeing how guys react to that instability and then you know making note of that. And I think it's now so- give an example of that. Yeah. So, um, what I do to kind of look at two things like hip stability and, um, I don't want to say hip range of motion, but it's just kind of like what a guy biases. Um, so, so I'll take them through a progression regression model of a, uh, so I'm looking at knee flexion and, uh, hip extension. So for knee flexion, I'm going to look at a reverse lunge or uh, bottoms up split squats. So starting in the bottom position of a split squat up to a sprinter pose, And then I'm going to progress them to a walking lunge to a sprinter pose. And so I'm just trying to look and see like how the knee tracks when they come in out of that long stride, walking lunge, if they lose balance on their foot at all, um, how their knee comes up into, or how their hip comes up into flexion when they go into sprinter pose um you know are they coming in like at a little bit of an angle with some extra rotation or is the is the knee coming tracking in going into internal rotation and then for hip extension i'm looking at just a single leg rdl the sprinter pose and then a single leg rdl with hip airplane and so on those ones like those are where you're gonna really start to see like the foot wobble um as as they're going into the single leg RDL and some guys won't even get to the single leg RDL with hip airplane. Cause I can see what I need to see off of the, the RDL. Um, and then, so basically I'm looking to see like if that, uh, you know, if that ankle or that foot's wobbling and they're getting pulled to the outside, like, all right, like this athlete really biases external rotation abduction or if they're getting pulled towards their midline they're falling towards the inside all right this athlete biases internal rotation adduction and so taking them through that um and just kind of each step of the way introducing a little bit more instability as we go seeing how they respond to that instability where they're where they're grasping to try and find that stability um kind of gives me a little bit more insight as to how they move um what compensations they're going to make as opposed to just kind of putting somebody on a table and being like, Oh, like you got more external rotation than internal rotation. Like we need to do that. Let's do some 90 90s. And it's like, I just think like, and, and like, I was like, I was at fault for this too. Um, a drive line. like, I just think, I just think I didn't look for the right things. Um, and I think that having the technology, like, I think that's what its best use was was just eliminating things that didn't matter, right? 100%. It's like measure measure what matters, but like in order to figure out what matters, is you have to measure everything. And so, like that's what we did. Like we just measured everything, and then we would just like, oh, okay, like you know, we we did a, a Kaiser chop, um, just straight across at uh, thirty pounds to see guys rotational power. Once we had enough samples of it we ran it in correlation with velocity nothing there no more kaiser chop like so it was just like checking boxes to be like all right does this matter does this matter and it was like no and then i got to the point where like and i told the story on a few podcasts already but like i ran our strength assessments so all of our strength numbers all of our range of motion numbers um and tried to find correlations with any metric in our biomechanics report so this is like okay yeah if we're like truly integrating like We need to show that our our strength assessment is actually trying to dictate like how well somebody moves or how hard somebody throws and like my strongest correlation with anything was like 0.4 and it was a speed bench press and um, pitch speed so it was not any metric of like oh like Bench press correlates with like internal rotation, angular velocity. Like, no, it just correlated with pitch speed and it was a 0.4. So it's not really even a correlation. So, so then it was like, I spiraled. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm doing these eight assessments every day. And none of, none of these metrics in my assessment correlate with anything we're doing on the pitching side. And so then I'm like, shit, maybe the weight room doesn't matter like maybe nothing matters in here. Like maybe like I seriously, like as somebody who like I would say specializes in like the integrative piece, like I went down like a dark, dark path of like, maybe I just need to build the engine, like just get guys stronger, more robust, more explosive. But then like, like I said, like it just led to more questions. So then I'm just trying to figure out like, okay, well like what does matter? Nobody Um, knows. (laughs) <laughs> no right no, nobody knows and like you know like that's like I think like I've evolved from my time at Drive Line of thinking that like training a uh barbell split squat and a split squat overhead throw with a med ball trains the lead leg or like oh like you know if we can have a higher deadlift and put more force in the ground like our, our lead leg will be better and it's like no there's no correlation at all with squat deadlift and lead knee extension angular velocity like, i mean all that
0: all that's going to show me personally right or us or whoever right if one side's inflection the other side's an extension right one you got knee hip knee knee or hip extension and hip flexion on one side and then you're, you're expressing those capabilities and then you switch sides and they suck at that one side like, all right we lack hip extension on that side right is that your, is that your backside? Is that your lead side? What is, what's going on here? And like, are, all right, we'll look at your track man report and are you missing arm side up? All right. It's because that you're not getting that back hip into extension or, you know, there might be some kind of correlation. Right. Right. But we don't, we don't know. Like truthfully, right. you know, and it just goes back to the conversations we've always had is like, why are we fixing your deficiency when you're throwing 97 miles an hour? You're never fucking hurt. Like, you're a big league all star. <laughs> I mean, what are we doing? You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, I had uh, so I had a, a remote athlete that got uh, went to driveline and got an assessment and wanted me to walk him through his biomechanics report. And like, this is one thing that like really bothered me about biomechanics reports is like, it just is a way to like pick people apart because nobody's going to have a perfect biomechanics report. Like, there's not a. There's not a. What's right. that? It's almost like a selling point right exactly and it's like like there's no such thing as like like quote-unquote ideal movements right because like everybody moves a little bit differently and like a lot of people throw a hundred and a lot of people do it differently yep. uh, and so i'm walking him through his biomechanics report and like he's like oh like this sucks and this sucks and this sucks and i just scroll down to where it says pitch speed and it said 96.9 and I was like, hey, bud, like, you're going to be all right.
1: <laughs>
2: like, you throw 97. Like, we don't need to, like, go and reinvent the wheel because, like, your torso slightly open at foot plant. Yeah. What's like, that it's thing?
0: okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of our job is build, building resiliency in the weight room. So just getting strong and stable in different positions where they're not going to allow themselves to get injured and give them what their body wants and what their body needs at the same time, right?
2: Right. Yeah, I think like uh, a really good way I like to think of it is like like training for like resiliency with like an athlete is a like filling buckets of what they're not getting, but also like trying to counterbalance the things that they are getting. So it's like, all right, we know that um, you know throwing repeatedly is going to lead to a loss of shoulder flexion. So like, we're going to be fighting a losing battle with that. So we're going to always need to try and continue to improve your shoulder flexion. Or like, we know that loss of internal rotation in the lead leg is like a common, um, common thing that pitchers lose. So it's like, we're going to always want to kind of work on that. Um, It's going to be a little bit different with how we work on that with everybody, because it's like, all right, is it a mobility issue? Is it a stability issue? Like, do we need a seated ninety ninety, or do we need a contralaterally loaded Bulgarian split squat? Like, it's 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 just a matter, and like that's where I think like individualization comes into play. Like,
0: 100%. yeah, absolutely. I mean, the biggest thing for us is addressing deficiencies, but addressing deficiencies is the point where their strengths are still going to be strengths. You know,
2: and- yeah. Uh, I remember um, so we did these tour of America things at Drive Line, mm-hmm. and basically we would like there would be facilities over the country that would have us come out and bring our uh, like mobile biomechanics lab. And we'd run guys through pitching assessments and strength assessment stuff. And then at the end of the weekend, uh, each person who would go on these trips would give a presentation. And um, I remember Dean Jackson, while Dean and I may have our differences, Dean Jackson had a really good quote that said, uh, if you address the deficiencies, but neglect a strength, you're not getting the athlete any better. 100%. and i was like wow like that's a really good way to look at it because like especially if we're dealing with like elite athletes or like good athletes already like we need to we need to highlight what makes them strong like we need to highlight what makes them good and continue to improve upon that uh, because if we just ignore that and address their deficiencies they won't actually get any better like they they might or they might become a little bit more resilient we'll just wrap you in bubble wrap and just say, all
0: right, well, let's just not let you get hurt. Let's just fix your hip IR or shoulder IR and hope for the best. You know what I mean? That's not, there's no performance, you know, like performance piece involved. You know what I mean?
2: Right. Yeah.
0: You got to, you got to definitely bridge the gap between, we always talk about this, bridging the gap between performance and rehab or performance and, you know, and arm care or whatever, whatever we want to say, you know? And I mean, that's, it's so easy to do. You pick two or three things that they're good at two or three things they're shitty at and see how their program is going throughout the course of, of the three or four weeks. Right. And if their performance is decreasing, their, their force velocity is decreasing, their velocity in the mouth's decreasing, their ranges of motion are decreasing then we're doing something wrong, you know? Right. And that's just why it's so important for us to step in and say like, you know, we're, we're always reassessing every day. We're watching them move. We're watching. We're getting feedback on the mound. You know, we're every every almost every throw a guy has is either on track man or on the or on the radar gun. You know, so we're managing the recovery days. We're managing their velo days. If they're like, yeah, if they have a down week or two on velo, like that's just a dip in the phase, right? But right. but if it's a you know constant thing, if it's you know chronic velo drops, then you know we're doing something wrong. You know and. And that's just something that we need to address as we go.
2: Right. And I think kind of coming full circle to like Taylor's question of uh, like the technology is like that or like technology or data. Like that's your that's your data right there is like the performance. Right. And I think that's one thing that um, I have changed a little bit over the past couple of years as well is like. I was always on a consistent cycle of three weeks on one week deload, three weeks on one week deload, three weeks on one week deload. But then um, like I started tracking and and like, so the reason for that is like research shows that like most athletes uh, need a deload, like every three to six weeks, somewhere in that range. The easiest thing when you have a, a bulk amount of athletes is like, yeah, we're just going to go three weeks on one week deload and just stay on the safe side of things there. Um, But, uh, you know, one thing that I did this last offseason was instead of programming in deloads, uh, just tracking their velocities each week and and figuring out where guys would kind of dip and go into the hole. And then when guys would super compensate and come out and actually start to see those performance gains, And then when they would kind of dip back down towards like baseline or back down towards the hole it's like all right deload right now and so
0: what we do essentially we're communicating with the athlete look into data and that's you know prescribing where needed
2: right and so then you know i think the cool thing about that too is then you can start to you know when you have an athlete who's with you long term is you can start to see some trends right like you can start to see like oh like this athlete's going to like PR this athlete's going to have a good week on week five, like, like clockwork. Um, and so like, that's what I think, like the, the where the data is or like, you know, that's what I think being data driven is right. It's not using every piece of technology you can find and get your hands on to kind of just muddy the waters and, and create more questions, but actually using data to like guide what you're doing with the program. I
0: mean, you're still using data, you know, you're right. still using, you're still using a force velocity tool, right? A, a velocity based tool. You're still using a radar gun. You're still using Soto or TrackMan, you know, right. but it's just the application of it is just going to be a little bit different, right? Where the way we do it is going to be managing time of year training, right? Where yeah. us it's just like, all right, you're in a strength phase. Let's say between 0.5, to 0.6 or whatever, you know, meters per second, and then you know, kind of go up the curve from there, you know. Right. And for a season, we're going faster just because you need to get faster. But we also can't neglect strength, so we might add some isos later in the workout, or we might add something later in the workout, but we're still hitting that that velocity early on in that, right. in, that or in that phase. You know what I mean? So you know, we just, we just it's just communication to athlete biggest and foremost. We have I mean, five podcast. We talked about it you know mm-hmm. um you know I just communicating with them it's like hey dude i feel like shit today all right well did you sleep bad you know did your nutrition suck is your hydration suck or is it do you need a fucking deload week
2: yeah i had a uh, i had a high school athlete a couple weeks ago who uh threw a bullpen. His velo was way down he's like man like i don't know why my velo so down i'm like oh how's how's your nutrition been uh probably not probably not as good as it could be. And I'm like, what'd you eat for breakfast today? And he goes, oh, I didn't have anything for breakfast till I slammed that Red Bull 30 minutes ago. Jesus. <laughs> I was like, nice, nice. I was like, how's your sleep then? And he's like, I haven't been sleeping very well at all. And I'm like, all right, well, I think we just found the answer to why your velo's down." Like, I'm like, you want to be an elite athlete? And he was like, oh, yeah. And I was like, you got to make decisions that elite athletes make then. Like, you can't just roll out of bed, slam a Red Bull and throw 90. Like, We're caffeine. You're not that guy. Yeah. You're not that guy. You're not, <laughs> not that
0: you're not that good. There's guys that can do that, though.
2: which is Oh, big. for sure. But, like, that's that's what I was trying to explain to him, that, like, yeah. there are guys that can do that. There are guys that can, you know, get hammered the night before, wake up, slam a Red Bull, and, and throw 100. Like, but that's not you. Like, you just had to bust your ass to, to top 90 once this last season. So, like, you're not that.
0: We have we have a guy like that. He's like he's in Double A right now, and he's he likes to drink a little bit. Doesn't eat well. He's like raising canes and Burger King and McDonald's, and you know crushes caffeine and rolls out throwing ninety seven, ninety nine, and just punches everybody out. And going to be a big leaguer. <laughs> you know, it's just like it makes no sense.
2: It's not fair.
0: It's not fair <laughs> at all. Literally, I just every we're so hard. there's. Going into that, right, there's a threshold of how good you're going to be, too. No matter how well we perform or how well we prepare you or how strong you get or how fast we can get you, there's always that threshold of saying, you know what, you're just not going to be that good, you know? And that's just (laughs) – unfortunately, it's a shitty position for us. It's like, yeah, we're going to try and do it for you, but you just don't have that makeup. You know, it's not size. It's not – Weight essentially, it's more so just like the makeup of your body and your the movements you're making, you know, and, and that's just, just kids just see that like guys are out there, you know, benching five thousand pounds and squatting, deadlifting five thousand pounds. That's that's what they need to do, and they're going to throw a hundred. And it's just not that easy. Uh, nobody benches five thousand pounds. Nobody deadlifts five thousand pounds. So yeah, yeah,
1: yes. yes. yeah,
0: yeah, exactly.
1: Taylor Davis, twenty twenty four. No shot. <laughs> Olympics? It's going to be a different type of program, Kyle. <laughs> we're, going need, we're going to need some help with that one. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to need some outside help. From outside <laughs> <sports>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, getting into like, so you have your strength assessment, which we already talked about, but then you get it into the pitching side. And I know for us, um, we talked to our pitching guy, Noah, a lot after like our strength assessment before he'll do pit, his pitching assessment. And we'll kind of see a lot of similar things um we'll kind of sit down together and go over okay like he clearly could had a hard time getting into this position this is why he had a hard time getting into this position so for you you don't have like you don't have that gap so you just do it both yourself so what are a lot of the limitations that you'll see like do you do your do you do you do your strength assessment
2: first before you see him throw correct no so basically the way i do it is like first day they come in i'll take them through well i mean i guess kind of because part of the the warm-up for the throwing has some of the, like the you know walking lunge to sprinter pose and and um, uh like single leg rdl to, to sprinter pose so like i'm seeing that but like it's not like a formal assessment so i guess i'm just like watching them move in their warm-up a little bit uh, but then i take them through J bands wrist weight shoulder tube and then plows and stuff before i do like the actual assessment. So that's actually kind of a good thing for me, uh, because I can kind of make, I can kind of make assumptions based on how I see them move when they throw about how they're going to move in the strength assessment. Um, and so that's, that's kind of nice for me because I can kind of start to put the pieces together a little bit. Um, and so I don't have to think as much when I'm doing the the strength assessment. It's more so just the formality of like, all right, like we're going to take you through these things. But, um, and then like, uh, it kind of, uh, could go either way too. So I posted something on this inst- about this on my Instagram story the other day of like being, uh, like biasing IR versus biasing ER and what that looks like on the mound. And I got a couple DMs from like some of my athletes. They're like, Oh, so like, I bias IR and I was like, ah, eh, not, not so fast. Like not really. Um, and so like some of the things that I'll see is like a guy who like biases IR, uh, a deduction would be like your typical guys that like get into early hip extension. Um, so like, as soon as they come out of leg lift, like they just can't hold abduction in the back hip. Um, so like knee dives down, they pop into early hip extension. Um, it's gonna be like your typical thing you see with a guy who biases IR, as opposed to a guy that biases ER is gonna be like your guy who like holds like the vertical shin angle in the back leg um and holds like excessive ab abduction in the back hip, um and kind of gets like quote unquote like stuck in the back hip, which uh it leads to like a really pushy back leg as opposed to like getting into um like flexion, IR, and rotating the pelvis. Uh, But I have also seen guys that bias IR who, uh, like um, I don't know if I should even say names, but like Drake Davis is is like a good example of a guy who like biases IR, but uh, actually holds excessive abduction in his back hip. Um, But it's like a compensation because he doesn't feel like he can load his back hip. Um, and so he excessively loads it to try and do that. And it actually works against him. Um, so like there, and then, uh, like the other one, um, one of my pro guys who thought he was an, an IR bias because he, his knee tracks forward quite a bit as he moves down the mound and doesn't really go into early hip extension, but it like kind of looks like early hip extension. Um, he just doesn't quite like get as much hip flexion or abduction in his back hip as he goes down the mound. Um, but I think, like I said, like, we don't know anything, but I think it's because like, as he goes to kind of rotate his pelvis, like he runs out of internal rotation, um, with his femur. And so like, he kind of bounces out of that pelvis kind of rotation. And so like, um, he can't, he essentially just can't rotate on a fixed femur. Um, and so that kind of bounces him out and puts him into a little bit of early not necessarily early hip extension, but like early, like internal rotation, I guess. Um, I don't know if any of that makes sense in words, I can see it and I'm like doing hand gestures, but like, um, just kind of talking that through. So like, I I think that's where you're kind of going is like, what are the common things I see in like the strength assessment that lead to like throwing deficiencies or throwing movement. So I would say those are the kind of the two, two big things there. Um, and then like, I Think those also kind of work up the chain. Um, so like somebody who, um, maybe leads to, or somebody who's like an IR adduction bias is going to be somebody who also has a little bit more like T spine flexion extension than T spine rotation, and I think that's kind of a byproduct of the way that they throw because their pelvis isn't rotating efficient, efficiently, so they're essentially like rotating on an excessively extended thoracic spine um and so it's just like an adaptation that they've developed over time um and so like all that stuff like you'll see um in the assessment but like like i said you can kind of watch the way they move um and and kind of predict or guess what they're going to move like in the in the assessment and so um you know, a guy that just like doesn't efficiently rotate his pelvis, um, and like gets super extended. Like, and like you can see this stuff too, like with Trackman or Rapsoto, like a guy who's got like a super vertical, um, spin direction, like really close to 12 o'clock, like backspins it really well is like probably a guy who doesn't really, um, like rotate his pelvis as efficiently as he could. And so he's getting all of this thoracic extension and like a bunch of lateral tilt Later, in his yeah, uh, lateral
0: position. For sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. How much how much of
0: this stuff are you applying in the weight room? Are you say a guy lacks extension or say sorry, internal rotation on their right side but biased on their left side? Are you going to put them into positions like, say, a rear foot elevated split squat on the right and a front foot elevated split squat on the left. Are you looking at gait mechanics with it? Or are you looking at foot, or the foot?
2: Yeah. Are
0: uh, are looking, or what are you looking at? Like, how are you yeah,
2: doing? So I, um, I typically so this I think is is one of the better things is like being able to because like we can see deficiencies on the strength side, yeah. And then throwing guys can see deficiencies on the throwing side and like want to address all of that. Right. Like, but where do we kind of dial it in and be like, all right, like, yeah, he's maybe got this deficiency in the weight room. But it's not really affecting in the way he throws. Whereas like this other deficiency is affecting in the way he throws. And so I can kind of put those pieces together. But Yeah. So to like address uh, like a lack of internal rotation or a lack of stability in internal rotation, yeah, I'll go like rear foot elevated um, split squat, um or like a long stride split squat uh with a contralateral load like suggesting rotation into the lead leg or like a guy who um lacks extra rotation i'll go uh like uh, a front foot elevated with a, a ipsilateral load or like a short stride lunge with an ipsilateral load um and then just like just kind of biasing the you know the gate cycle and you know, those guys are just going to hammer home, uh, contralateral load or ipsilateral load and and trying to mimic those, those different stances of gait cycle. Um, but I found, um, that like, if you do that too long, it can almost lead to the adaptations you don't want. Um, like I found that like I did contralateral load with a guy for so long, That like now he's biasing internal rotation and now he like, yeah, yeah, he can't get into ER. And like, then it was like, I'm like, my knees are really bothering me. And I was like, huh. And so then I like switched him to uh, ipsilateral load for a month and it it, like worked out. But you know, kind of like what you were saying earlier, that's just like a a guess and check, right? Of like, you know, uh, you know, you write the program, you track how guys are doing, you reassess them every few weeks and and you make changes when you need. And like, uh, unfortunately we're not always ahead of the eight ball on that. No, for sure.
0: Like same with us, like, you know, let's say like a high, high vertical break guy, right. We're talking about that lateral flexion or lateral tilt. You know, I'm going to prescribe a good amount of like some windmill exercises, variations, right. And just allow them to get into it. And if they still feel, rest- if they're feeling restricted, but have that ladder, that high vertical break and they have an okay lateral tilt, I'll give them a little bit more creating space. Kind of, you know, on that right side or whatever it may be that they need, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, but at the same time, like we don't want to overdo it and then kind of risk the oblique issue, you know right. what I mean? And then we also got to look at body presentation, you know, like how come they're, why are they allowing lateral flexion versus why are they biasing, you know, better hip extension or whatever right. it may be, you know what I mean? And, you know, like we were talking to Dakin the other day and it's like, I asked him, was like, do you look at body presentations and like out, like output for guys. And we, we kind of just like discussed a guy that was a bigger, a bigger, figured out he was a bigger guy without even him telling us just by the way, his pitch characteristics or, you know, a, a leaner guy just because of his, of his pitch characteristics, you know, I was like, yeah. And then he does better in the weight room with a squat. He does better in the weight room with the deadlifts. He does, you know what I mean? So,
2: yeah. um You know, that, that's kind of our feedback right there, you know? Yeah. I think, I think that's the next big, big thing right is like being able to uh kind of predict let's say like kind of predict pitch characteristics or pre- predict things like that based on guys how guys move and it's funny i i interviewed with a, a team this last off season um and i said that in my interview and i saw all of them smirks so i i knew immediately like they were already <laughs> on to it yeah. i was like shit i'm not ahead of them <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, I think that's like the next thing is like, A, like seeing how somebody moves on the mound to be like, oh, you know, like he's going to be, you know, like a a high spin vertical break guy. Oh, he's going to be a sinker slider guy. Um, But then also being able to peel that back a little bit more and kind of, you know, like some of the things we're talking about is like, oh, like these movements in the weight room typically correlate with a way that guy, a way that the guy moves on the mound that's going to lead to those pitch characteristics. Um, and I think that could be, uh, kind of a big ticket to like pitch design. Right. So like if a guy, let's say we have a guy that's like, you know, like a 1245, 115 axis, and he's kind of in that, like, uh, I don't want to say danger zone, but he's like right on that, uh, like spot where he's like 15, 16 inches of vertical break. And it's like, all right, do we try and increase his direction and get him to more uh, closer to 12 o'clock or we would try and get him some more some more run and sink and get him closer yeah. to 130 um, and being able to kind of look at some of the things in the weight room and kind of manipulate the way he moves there to manipulate the way he moves on the mound to try and get him either direction depending on kind of what we think is more natural for him. I mean, you see that in the big leagues, right? You see a lot of the guys that
0: are higher vertical break guys are kind of built the same right you know and then you see guys that are really good sinker guys like a chris sale type taylor rogers those kind of guys right they're lefties really lean they're yeah. really compressed right same arm slot you know and you can see like yeah they're gonna everything's gonna characterize the same with those right. guys you know and you know, for us is like body types play a big role in how you move not only in the weight room but on the field you know not just on the mound. Like, look at like christian Yellish, cody bellinger how they rotate as a lefty right. versus like a mike trout a bigger bigger human as a righty like really really fights that, really forces that rotation right right Bellinger and Yellish just actually just rotate cleanly you right. know throw out the the forces and the gases and you know the right turn analogies all that kind of stuff but like just the way they they're built allows them to rotate better right and just better output that way
2: yeah
0: 100%. That, that's something that that we've been diving into is just the the body the body type tells us first and foremost what they're doing the structure is there for a reason and it, you know we don't want to take away what they're good at going back to that and that's their body right. you know right. we're not gonna overhaul a wider human being to be completely compressed and then he's going to just lose
1: everything he's ever worked for
2: right yeah you know?
1: That. um i know yeah we were kind of talking about i think you dove into a little bit this offseason with like the hitter like working with hitters and i know for us at least we work with a lot more pitchers than we do hitters and i'm pretty sure you're pretty close to the same as well um uh, but i know you worked with like you like you worked with troy this offseason a couple other hitters but we were talking about um and i think you put a poster too up about it but like training the position i think it was like with a landmine press or something like that yeah but training the position of like how a guy would swing versus how a guy would throw so i wanted you to dive in a little bit and talk about like that positional sense of like the hitting versus the throwing
2: yeah so this was actually something so this was a conversation i had with killian hamilton and he actually opened my eyes to this and um it actually started out um i posted i posted to my instagram story somebody doing uh, like a contralaterally loaded landmine press and Killian just, like, replied to me and was like, hey, like, try uh, try ipsilateral load. Like, allows for a better scapulohumeral rhythm. And, uh, like, started saying something else. And then he was like, I've also noticed that the pitching delivery is very ipsilateral. And I'm like, what? Because I'm thinking, like, all right, like, you know, one of the things that we focused on most when I was at driveline was, like, lead leg block block and brace because it was like the thing that had the highest correlation to, um, throwing velocity. And so like, I'm thinking like, all right, a braced left leg with a like reaching right arm is contralateral to me. But then like, honestly, when I made that post and like this, I guess I can, I'm going to sidetrack a little bit, but like this is like a big reason why I use social media is like, to try and organize my thoughts and like take things that I've learned. And like, it's like taking things that you have learned and like actually understanding them and like putting them in writing to kind of, I don't know, show that, okay, yeah, I understand this concept. And so, uh, you know, I took a slow-mo video of uh, Troy Johnston hitting from the front. And then I took a video of him Doing a contralaterally loaded landmine press. Because that was the other thing Killian said, pitching's very ipsilateral, hitting's very contralateral. Um, and then he was saying, or so so then I took a video of uh Damon Jones throwing both left-handed, so throwing slow-mo, and then a video of him doing an ipsilaterally loaded landmine press. And essentially, like what it is, is it's it's not so much like the movement itself being i mean i guess in a way ipsilateral, but it's like more so like how the core is stabilizing so like where is lateral flexion happening during the movement and so like when you look at like an ipsilateral loader like at this at the bottom position like we're having to resist like laterally flexing to the side that has the weight um and so like same thing as like pitcher delivery like think like bottom of the leg leg kick like either arm extended at the side or like Arm pulling back into scap retraction traction is like same type of thing, like having to resist that lateral flexion to the left side. Uh, or I guess for, yeah, for a lefty to the left side. Yeah. And then into um, like ball release, you see that left side is now like fully lengthened and we're laterally flexing or resisting lateral flexion on the right side. It's like same thing. Like now we're going from that bottom position, the landmine press to the top position a landmine press for that left side if we're doing a landmine press on the left arm like left side is fully lengthened right side resisting flexing to the right um and so like it actually took me taking the videos of the swing or the the throw and then the landmine press and being like oh that's what he means and so i took the videos i looked at them and then like opposite thing for um it will be opposite for a hitter uh, because they're tilting the opposite direction at uh, like ball contact or whatever. Um, And so I've, I've now explained the pitching and I can't get myself to explain the hitting um, because my, 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 I've said too many words. Um, But uh, like, uh, and I don't know, you guys can maybe link the post when I say this and you can kind of see the picture because I feel like it's something that's hard to explain in words without a visual as well. Um but it's essentially just like where is the where is the trunk resisting lateral flexion and landmine press first on it's an ipsilateral side versus it's
0: just opposite what you said though, right? What's and up? It's literally just opposite what you said. Yeah, though. yeah. It's 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 yeah. the
2: opposite. Yeah. It's
0: literally a complete take the pitching and then you flip it and that's that's what you have the hitting.
2: Right. If if you take yeah. you take a still photo of a of a pitcher at ball release and a hitter at contact, mm-hmm. like they're mirrored.
0: Yeah you're your one weight, your weight as a hitter is back. As the pitcher, your weight is forward.
2: Yeah,
0: is that? I mean, that's the easiest way to put it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so people can understand. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you know, that's. I mean, just like think about like, like the the muscle fibers are lengthened on one side and they're shortened on the other. Right. Yeah,
2: I think that's the easiest way to to to. Um, Think about it as like lengthened versus shortened. And I'm pretty sure that's how I explained it in the Instagram post as well. It's like, nice. all right, like bottom position, like this is shortened. It's also shortened in the pitching delivery. Like top position, it's lengthened. It's also lengthened in the pitching and delivery. And like it's opposite for the hitter. So. Make
0: sure we link that post, Ash,
2: to the. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if people are, people might want to just fast forward through this section because I don't know what the fuck I just said. <laughs> you
0: sounded smart. That's all that fucking matters. <laughs> right, good. Mission accomplished. I can, I can sign off now. Yeah. I sounded smart. We're just confusing everybody, but it's all right. all right. Yeah, I don't even know, truthfully, I don't even know who our audience is. So we're talking that <laughs> every, po- every podcast is a different yeah. audience for sure. It's either like we dumb it down or we just go way above our heads <laughs> yeah Usually yeah. get the sense about
2: 10 minutes hey, as, as long as we have a good time and somebody yeah. learns something maybe like that's all that really matters i'm okay. having a blast that's all
0: thanks thanks Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> i'm so selfish <laughs> what i mean what what else you got going anything else cool before we get off
2: no not really nothing nothing too cool just uh just trying to train some people and build up that, that client list. Yeah. Yeah. You're
0: doing a great job. It's pretty cool. To I see appreciate you. it. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, letting us have Taylor. Yeah, no problem. He, you know, he turned down the job once
2: with me. You couldn't do it twice.
1: <laughs> well, the weather's warmer down here.
2: Yeah. I was a right. I can't, I can't afford to pay you any money anyway, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, was a I, I would
2: just literally try and pay you in, in programming. You'd be my unpaid intern. Mm.
1: That's a couple. Of <laughs>
2: <laughs> just live with mom and dad, and I'll just pay you in programming. Mom
1: and dad aren't there anymore. What? They're in Oklahoma. Oh. We'll ta- yeah, I'll, t- I'll talk to you about it later.
0: <laughs> so you might not ever see Taylor again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, he's not coming home for the holidays. He's not gonna text me and ask me and come lift for free anymore.
0: Nope. <laughs> hey, if you're ever in Arizona, you can come lift for free. All right. I'm down for free training. I'll take you up on that. Yeah, you gotta come down for spring training. Be fun. Get out of the cold weather.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you could see behind me in this window, but for whatever reason, it's it's kind of gloomy today. It's July. Yeah, it's raining here. <laughs> Dumping. Funky. There's like 110 here a couple weeks ago It was unbearable.
1: Oh, man, I heard, I heard everybody was freaking out. It's tough.
2: Every Tuesday. <laughs> I, every t- I have AC
0: in my house though, so I just didn't leave. Yeah, that's a good idea. What,
2: Sweet. um,
0: what, where can people find you on social media?
2: Yeah. Um, on Twitter, it is at Kyle Rogers 18 and then Instagram it's at KL Rogers two Perfect. All right, man. Well, we appreciate you. Yeah. Appreciate you having me on. It was fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk soon. All right, how are we doing? All right, great. Right,